Thanks for joining us on the Glow CRE podcast. We are your hosts, Pamela Fanoss and Farah Jackson. Glow CRE stands for Gaining Leaders, Originators, and Women in Commercial Real Estate. And we're bringing you an honest and inspiring look into working as a woman in this industry. Glow CRE is sponsored by Greystone, a leading commercial real estate finance company serving the multifamily sector with a range of debt and structured finance solutions. Okay, let's get into today's episode. Very exciting. Our guest today is Sarah Garland. She is a Senior Managing Director for the Affordable Housing Debt and Structured Finance Team at CBRE. She supports origination of affordable and workforce housing debt financing and serves a critical role for the company in connecting loan originations with the deep expertise of the CBRE affordable housing teams in the regulated multifamily finance market. She's been at CBRE for five years, and last year, Sarah and her colleague Jim Flynn were named top mortgage lenders by Connect Media. Before joining CBRE, Sarah was a SVP at PNC Bank, and she also worked at Fannie Mae for 13 years, serving as a national director of multifamily affordable housing. Sarah is a former chair of the MBA FHA committee and a vice chair of the MBA multifamily steering committee. Sarah, thank you so much for joining us on our podcast today. We are very excited to learn more about you, your career, and uh, most importantly, your journey. Great. Well, thank you both for inviting me. I'm very happy to be here and participate in the podcast. So, Sarah, we want to start out by learning about your path to where you are today. How did you get started in commercial real estate? Okay. Well, I actually had a very circuitous path. I actually started out as a single-family home builder. Uh, who was working on a condo project when the market turned and very, very quickly turned it into a multifamily LIHTC property. So honestly, I was one of the probably first LIHTC properties in LA to get done. And it kind of steamrolled from there. I met lots of people, made lots of contacts, worked for the housing department of the city of LA and went to Wells. And, and then really Fannie Mae is where I really secured my role and career in affordable housing. Just went from there. Fascinating. I mean, that that's that's a lot of times we'll hear that we kind of fall into something. I mean, that you kind of fell into it and then it became completely. a passion, which, yeah. is, completely. which is great. And it definitely yeah. became a passion. I think City of L.A., while a challenging place to work, I definitely became very passionate about affordable housing. So it yeah. got lucky. It, exactly. And it's very challenging, the city of L.A., so that <laughs> I can imagine. Uh, we know that affordable housing is a giant puzzle we as an industry can't seem to solve. And as we just discussed, it's an area of passion for you. Uh, what else drew you to affordable workforce housing? Obviously, you you kind of were introduced to it right at the start. But what, what other characteristics drew you to that? Well, for me, it was sort of two different things that actually drew me. One is obviously the need. Um, I've always been in LA, but if you, you know, if you know anything about LA, it's extremely expensive and the need is absolutely crazy. Um, but the other thing is the people. Like I really love the community of affordable housing developers, borrowers, lenders. I like the agencies are committed to it. So it just became a very nice community for me that I didn't feel as much in sort of the market rate space. Right. Being in it myself and passionate about it as well, it seems like it's a growing community for us, it's and I'm so growing. excited to see that. Yes, for the longest time, we were sort of over here, not really part of the, the, the dialogue or conversation, but now, I mean, 
honestly, COVID really brought it to the forefront. So I feel like if there's a silver lining, it's the the focus that it that it brought. Right, as well as Fannie Mae, Freddie Mac, really, that their goals now are so critical yes. with the workforce and affordable housing. I think that's really um, facilitating, you know, this this industry as well, you know, the affordable housing industry. People used to think of it as, you know, not a not a good business to be in from a from a return or profitability, and they just thought of it as something that needed to happen. But I think the trend has been that people really recognize it as a really stable and good asset class as well. Well, and I think you Absolutely. hit the nail on the head that COVID showed there's not a lot that's more important than your home. Having a safe, secure place that you call home is needed in the best of times and more in the worst of times. It definitely brought it to light to figure out how to learn and see how many people were living paycheck to paycheck was, I think, a really big shock to the the nation, frankly. Agreed. So, Sarah, what are your thoughts on how we approach affordable housing more thoughtfully as an industry? Okay, so my thoughts on how I think the industry has um, matured. I think there are a lot more people focused and interested in it. So as a result, I feel like the focus has brought the attention that we needed. And again, with the agencies being required to, to do it, which is not necessarily, they, they do it because they're required to do it, but they also are very passionate about it. So they're very, very thoughtful in the way that they approach it. And I think that the borrowers and the developers have, have got a whole new understanding of what affordable housing is. And it's it's not something that people are afraid of anymore. I'm meeting more and more borrowers that actually want to provide affordable housing and they want to do the self-imposed uh, yes. regulatory agreements. And that's just something that they're not required to do. They don't need to do it. They can raise the rents to market. They're, this yeah. is just something that they want to do to give back. And I'm meeting more and more borrowers that are looking at it that way, which is I've never seen that before. Well, I think the conversations that have been occurring in the last two years have helped. I I spoke to a group probably about a few months ago, and they didn't realize that when you say affordable housing, you're not talking about what they thought of as the projects. You know, you're talking about housing that's affordable for nurses, for teachers. You know, they don't think of that as affordable housing. They really think of the things they drive by and they see clotheslines. Um, not that project that's right across the street is an age-restricted right. tax credit property, but it's got rents that are affordable to people on fixed income. And I think educating the general population, again, a lot of it was through COVID in, you know, these available resources or this continued need has really helped to grow that understanding and participation from developers, which is very much needed. I 100% agree. I I think that there was a lot of grassroots educating that needed to happen. And it, it did happen. I mean, I think I get calls every week from people who are, how do I get into the industry, whether it's from a lending perspective or an equity investor or, or a market rate developer who is now focused on it. So it's definitely, um, a time to really capitalize on all this momentum. Yep. Well, Sarah, we know that there are influences throughout our careers that help to shape our journeys. Um, Would you mind sharing some examples of influences as well as influencers who helped to shape you into the woman that you are today? Well, um, yeah, that's a good question. I have not had one specific person that filled that role for me. I have had many, many influencers, mentors, and and really advocates. I mean, people who advocated on my behalf when I needed it, uh, which is different than a mentor. 
So I've had mentors who are not in the industry and I have had advocates who were in the industry and, you know, every person served a different role for me and helped me sort of decide what route I wanted to take and how to get there. And then in terms of being an influencer, I think that because I had such important people in my life that I've tried really hard to to pay it forward. And I get a lot of calls from younger women, you know, how, how did I get there? What's my path? And, you know, I, I always try to help them if I can. And if I can't, I try to refer them to somebody else. We've talked a lot about the importance of mentors, but we haven't talked as much about the importance of advocates as well as the difference. You know, advocates can be your leaders, your managers, um, right. other coworkers, other people in leadership at your firm. Um, and it's so important. So I'm definitely putting a note down in my notes that we, we've got to dig into that one a lot deeper because it's so yeah. important to any good career path. It really is. You really need an ad. I, I think to be successful, you really need an advocate in the organization where you're working, somebody who can help you navigate sort of the structure, the path versus a mentor, which is really much more for me of a coach. Somebody's a coach who's, who's helping you personally develop your your career and your style. Mm-hmm. Your personal brand. Your personal brand. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and I, when I speak to, um, same as you, Sarah, I, I get calls too from from young women asking questions about their how to navigate their career path. I, in my career too, advocate. I call it a champion, someone who champions you. Yeah. And I can't tell you how critical that was. More so, probably in my career than the mentor. I I think for me, same as you, I had many people, not just one, as a mentor, but it was really the advocates and the champion, you know, championing me through. Uh, the organization yes. was critical to the success you know, of my career. Yeah, absolutely. So let's get down to some brass tacks on business. You're a successful leader and manager, but we know that's a skill you need to hone over time. Why do you think you've excelled in management of loan origination? I mean, Sarah, you and I have a very similar career. It was really yes. product knowledge. You know, I think it, you know, product knowledge, really diving into the product. And then now we're the managers and advocates of, of loan originators. And we're, we're in a position where we could now really help women into this role. Why do you think you've excelled? I think I was lucky, frankly, that I worked for organizations that uh, promoted people. And once they promoted you, gave you the, the skills that you needed. They sent me to management training. They sent me to of women's leadership programs. And I think the biggest mistake that a lot of companies make is they give somebody a promotion where they're great at the job that they were doing and think that that's going to convert them to be a manager of that group. And I think we all know that it doesn't happen that easily. So for me, I think, honestly, I think I have a natural skill uh, as a manager and a leader. I'm not an originator. I very quickly learned that that wasn't my skill, but that my skill was to to manage the team, to support the team, to give them the skills that they needed, and frankly, to do all the stuff behind the scenes so that they could get out there and do their job without having to worry about it. And and I think they really needed to know that I had their back. All important Absolutely. things. Absolutely. Yeah. Yep. And that that's exactly how, how I feel too. I think I I offer way more to support the originator and really champion them and really give everyone the tools and how to be successful. And and that's, that's exactly yeah. right. Versus myself going out originating. So yeah, exactly. I'm good at that. 
Now, how do you bring the best out of your production teams? Like, obviously, you mentioned the training and management and offering them, you know, support. But how, how, what else do you you bring out the best of to bring out the best of your production team? Um, I'm lucky in some regards because I actually have had some some very good producers who are just naturally good at what they do. But I do think like I always go on calls with them or I put somebody, I try to pair the younger people up with somebody. And, you know, we very quickly will like go back after a meeting or a call. Well, how, you know, how, how did that go? Like we, we assess the situation because we never want to put somebody in front of a borrower or a potential when they're not ready. Right. Because that's, that's not a good situation for, for anybody. But I think, I think I've just uh, I just try to encourage them, and I actually give very candid feedback, which is sometimes, good. sometimes welcome, sometimes <laughs> That's how not. You learn. But <laughs> That's yeah. called coaching. That's what's yes. needed. Mm-hmm. Honest coaching. That's exactly right. Now, here's a question: What are some of the differences that you've seen um, in women who work in origination versus men? You know, how are you managing the women versus the men, and what are you seeing? Where, men, where women might need more support or men. So just curious think what your a, thoughts are on that. I feel like there's a fundamental personality difference that women tend to think they're not ready to do something and men, you know, jump in full force without knowing. They may not, they may think they're ready, but they're not ready, but they kind of focus and kind of bluster their through, but they do a good job. Whereas women sort of wait to be invited and, you know, you're not going to be invited. You got to manage your own career and like you deserve to be there. You're good. I, the positive thing about women, one of the positive things is that women are far more prepared. They, Mm -hmm. they do their homework, they role play, they practice, they never go into a meeting unprepared. So I feel like that really comes through. And I also think when I first started, there was this, uh, you know, sort of notion that women had to act like men. You know, they had to dress like, they had to wear their power suit, they had to be strong. And I feel like that whole situation has changed. I think that, I think you just need to be true. You just need to be honest and straightforward and know your stuff. And that's, that's what people want. Yeah, and these are common themes we've heard. We've, we've heard uh, Just Do It from Stephanie Wiggins. We've heard be honest to yourself. Those exact same uh, words from Kristen Croxton. So we can see these themes coming through. Yes. And it's, you know, so this this is, you know, great he- hearing all this. because The other thing really I would add, and I'm sorry to cut you off, is that I feel like women support women more than maybe men support men. And I, I hope it continues to stay that way because mm-hmm. I think it's in everybody's best interest to have successful women. And I think women realize that. So I feel like that's something that's that's really strong and good and I and I hope continues. And I'm sorry I cut you off by the way. <laughs> no, uh well set too. I mean that was perfect. Yeah. So for this podcast, we're trying to inspire women and minorities to seek out and pursue commercial real estate as a career. What message would you want to get across to someone who's new to it, considering a career in commercial real estate? What should they know? I think it's a great career for women and whether it's production, whether it's behind the scenes, whether it's underwriting. And I think that uh, the message that I would say kind of goes back to it's it's not easy, but that doesn't mean you can't do it. Nothing is easy. Right. You have to work hard at what you what you want. And I think that 
being a woman is actually an advantage today in this industry because there's there's a lot of men, you know, and sometimes yeah. people like working with women. I think that we've gained we've gained their trust and respect mm-hmm. and people sort of know that you're going to be thorough and do a good job. And so I think it's a I think it's a great time to enter. You know, you talk about your career and I'm not going to talk about how long you've been in the industry, but you've you've seen trends in your career. And one of them you just talked about is we've gained their trust. You know, I know personally there was a period of time where I went into a meeting and if I answered a question, they turned to my boss for the the verification of what I just said. And I don't see that as much anymore. So what kind of trends have you seen other than the ones you, you just described for women in our industry? You know, where have you seen us come from, go to and where would you like to see us get to? Well, I think we are seeing a lot more women in leadership roles. I feel like that trend is is taking off. I mean, there's always room for improvement there. Um, I think that the. You know, nobody's asking you to get coffee for them, hopefully anymore, because I certainly have that uh, Mm -hmm. more than once. And I was like, no, get your own. (laughs) I can show you where it is. Um, But I also think that um, I just feel like there's the whole idea of being a woman and working full time in an industry and this notion that, you know, we're going to stay home and raise our children, which is a great thing to do, by the way, if that's a choice you make, but that that shouldn't be any kind of hindrance to you pursuing your career and the acceptance of that. And the fact that there are so many more women's groups out there that have formed. There were, I don't think there were any when I first started that were like just specific women's groups. So I think that all of that has has made the, the entrance into the industry hopefully easier and smoother. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, again, there's room for improvement, but I feel like the acceptance is there. And I think more it's much more um, individually based. If you're good at your job, you get recognized, yep. whether you're a man or a woman. Agreed. We're not there, but there's I feel like a lot of progress has been made. Agreed. OK, Sarah, you've done a lot so far in your career. Really impressive. I'm sure there are things you still want to accomplish. So what's on the horizon for you? What's next? So I, um, I probably haven't thought far out on my horizon, but I would say like for what I'm doing, I love I love my job. I love the people I work with. I love the industry. And one of the things that I have really enjoyed that I would like to do more of is sort of the the, the advocacy piece. You know, not not at my corporate level, but at the national level. I really feel like I don't want to lose the momentum that we've gained in the industry, and you know. Far and I are, are part of one organization. I, I do some other groups as well. And I think that that's where I can really make a difference, um, mostly because I've been in the industry for a long time. I know a lot of people, but I really love the advocacy that and the opportunity that that gives me to sort of go down a different path in the same industry. So many people don't understand the importance of that and what goes on behind the scenes to yes. get things like, you know, the fixed 4% tax credit. Yes. So many people benefited from it, but had no idea of all of the oh, work and things. Yes. Yeah. So very grateful for all of the advocacy work that you do, especially yeah. in the affordable housing space. Thank so thank you. Yeah, I love it. Okay, Sarah, now we get to my favorite part of every episode. It is where we ask you, do you have a signature quote or a personal quote that resonates with you? 
and I do. I have no idea where it came from, but my my quote has always been don't assume bad intentions. And I think it's a really interesting quote because everybody has something going on that you may or may not know. And at that moment in time, it absolutely could be affecting the way they're responding to you. And I think that in our human nature, we always assume it's about us. <laughs> and more than often, it's probably not about you. It's about something going on behind the scenes. So it kind of goes to the second part of that would be don't, you know, give people the benefit of the doubt and, and you know, try to figure out what why that conversation didn't go well or why you didn't get the answer you wanted and, you know, move forward. Don't, you know, don't hold that grudge. Don't be, I don't know. I think it's really important to just to kind of just let go of something that may be harboring with you, because more often than not, it wasn't about you in the first place. Those no, Sarah, are great life mantras. And I love that. And I and I think that's what makes you a great manager. By having that mindset, I, I really think that's, that's so critical in becoming a, a really good manager and mentor to your team. Thank you. Well, we've come to the end of our episode today. Thank you, Sarah, so much for your time and your valuable insights. We're so glad to have you today. So happy Um, to be here. I really enjoyed it. Thank you. Thank you. And to our Glow CRE listeners, thanks for listening as always. Please subscribe, rate, and review the Glow CRE podcast so we can continue to share these inspiring stories about the potential for women in commercial real estate. Until then, keep glowing, ladies.